those first world problems. You ever, you know, people heard people talk about those. They do them on uh, the Bobby Bone Show if you listen to that in the morning. Um, they crack me up. I, I complain about them all the time. I looked up a couple this morning. These are these are a few that that I remember specifically. I remember uh, growing up, I had friends who had money, and they would say, "Oh, we had to clean all day yesterday because the maid's coming." <laughs> Anybody have that? Apparently, if you have a maid, you have to clean, or they charge you more, or something. First world problem. Uh, I took a shower so long that I ran out of hot water. Definitely a first world problem, unless you got one of those fancy ones that like heats continually. You know, um, I haven't taken a shower that long in five years and seven months or so. Pretty much since Molly was born, I haven't just showered as long as I wanted to. This one I said. I've watched all the good shows on Netflix. I had enough time to watch every single show that I like on Netflix that literally has over a thousand shows. And that's a real problem that I have. I had to get Hulu because I ran out of ran out of shows on Netflix. This one I said recently after I went to Disney World, this is the ultimate of first world complaining. I'm so tired from my vacation. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, ultimate first world problem. I had enough money to spend thousands of dollars to go on vacation. And my biggest problem today is that I'm really tired because I went on vacation. You know, you get the idea. Like, you got a whole lot of those. It's when you, nothing's really wrong, but you just need to find a reason to be dissatisfied. You, you have every reason to be joyful, but sometimes we just need to complain about something. When I got my truck, you know, I got, got a new truck. It's, it's, it's brand new. I didn't even get a used one. I mean, you know, just really fortunate. I get a new one. Somebody had given me uh, a nice a Yeti mug. I mean, I don't buy stuff. You know, I don't buy nice stuff, but they gave it to me, and I was it was so awesome. And I got my new truck, and it wouldn't fit in the cup holder. <laughs> I had to use a Contigo, uh, like, you know, like a commoner. Um Real problem for me. It bothered me way more than it should have. Um, those are real problems, but nobody really cares because it doesn't really matter. And you're just kind of dissatisfied really for nothing. Um, but then there are some real problems. And some of you guys are sorting through real problems right now, slugging through them, surviving through them. Maybe you just are on the other side of one. But I'll bet you in your own mind right now, you don't have to go very far to think about something that was or is incredibly challenging. And there's a heck of a lot of stuff like that going on and different from your first world problems where nobody wants to help you. Uh, this is a problem where nobody can really help you. And we can we can put a band-aid on it for you, but but we can't we just can't solve it. You know, it's just not within what any of us can do to to solve that problem. And and as you walk through it, um, that's sort of where you are. Um, I turn my iPad off and I don't know what comes next. So I'm just gonna give me. I think Robbie or Kobe did this last week, so it's not that bad. Um, but to be dissatisfied. To be dissatisfied or just generally unhappy with that situation in the middle of it, in the middle of it as you're walking through it, I think makes perfect sense to all the rest of us. And as you're walking through it to not be as happy as you can be, the rest of us would look and say, yeah, that makes sense to us. Like, who would be happy with this? And who could really exude just some real peace in the middle of walking through this kind of thing? But, but what if you could? 
what if even in the middle of the hardest things that you walk through, what if even in the middle of that you could have some of that peace? What if you could have rest? Like physical rest, which can be hard to come by in the middle of some of that, but also just a mental rest right in the middle of it. In Psalm 23, Psalm 23, even as you read it, it feels pretty calming. And as you, like, as you begin to, if you'll just like slow down and, um, if you'll just like slow down a little bit it, when you're having some, a tough time and go read it and just kind of hear it for what it is, man, it's just so incredibly peaceful. What's even more incredible is, is the writer of Psalm 23. So David writes Psalm 23. What's incredible is that he can write this at all. So we have some idea of when he may have written it, but we're not totally sure. But, but regardless, even if David wrote this as a child, as a young guy, let me tell you what David was like as a young guy. David's the youngest of all his brothers, and, and even his own dad considers him to be like the least of all his brothers. Somebody came when, when he was, somebody was coming and they said, hey, I'm gonna anoint one of your children as king. Uh, David's dad gets together all of his children except for him. And he's like, uh, it's gonna be one of these. And the guy's like, is this all your children? And he's like, well, I mean, I do have the one other. I mean, that's how low he was in the totem pole. Like all the other children, he thinks these may be eligible candidates for, to be anointed, but not this one, not David. So that's, that's how David feels. What's he doing instead of being at this, you know, this coronation ceremony? What's he doing instead of being there? Well, he's, he's out in the field. It's, uh, it's middle of summer. It's not here in Bethlehem. It's not like Louisiana heat, but it's like Tennessee heat, you know, so it can still get hot, you know. Middle of the summer, and he's out there, and he's in the field, and he's got sheep everywhere, and he's taking care of them. And sometimes you see these pictures on stained glass windows where shepherds are just like, you know, it just looks beautiful. Um, but in reality, uh, this is a really dirty job. And and if you were a shepherd and you wanted to go into the temple, you had to go through a whole cleaning thing, and not just not just cleansing for for spiritual purposes, but really because you stunk so bad um, that they didn't want you to be in around with everybody else. And so he's got this job. His dad considers him to be a little bit less than every all the other brothers. And so even as you read Psalm 23, even if he wrote it as a kid, this is a guy who has some incredible peace, and he's got the worst job that you can imagine, the worst job, the job that nobody wants. And his dad even thinks he's less than all his brothers. But yet he still writes this. You fast forward a lot of years, and then he's a king. And you would think being a king, that's got to be pretty great. Until you start reading about what happened to kings in this day, almost no king, very few kings lived out their whole lives. And you know why they didn't live out their entire lives? Because as soon as somebody attacked them, they killed and beheaded the king and all their family. And so it's not really a peaceful time to be a king. I mean, it's a pretty, it's, it's pretty challenging, and a whole lot of people around you generally want to kill you when you're the king. And so he's sort of got all that kind of thing going on. He spent his entire time as king, almost his entire time as king, at war. He, he was at war so much that he wanted to build the temple, and, and God was like, you have too much blood on your hands, and so you can't build the temple. And so this is what his, it's like to be king for David. One of the few recorded moments of free time that he got, we finally get this one spot where he's just wandering around. And he's finally got a little free time on his hands. And what does he do? As if life hasn't thrown enough at him? 
he decides to uh, have an affair, and then to cover up the affair, he has someone killed. And then uh, after having someone killed, uh, the child dies. And so if he doesn't have enough problems, then he's going to create some more for himself. And the guy who lived that kind of life writes Psalm 23. Psalm 23, verse 1. <clears throat> it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Another, another version translates it like this. The Lord is my shepherd, I don't need a thing. The Lord is my shepherd, I don't need a thing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for His name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Am I right? You know, I mean, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. This is the vacation that I'm dreaming of. I mean, it's so incredibly peaceful. Doesn't that sound like a place of peace that you would love to be in? I wish I could look at everything I have and everything I don't have and say, I don't need a thing. I'm totally good right where I am. And not just when life is good on a peaceful Saturday when I've got nothing to do, you know, and and everything is just going well. But even in the middle of the storm, wouldn't I love to just be able to say that kind of thing? And so I think there are a couple of things that you can kind of pull from this passage right here that sort of, that, that help us as we, as we want to walk in that way, as we want to have that kind of peace that, that we can have. There are a couple of things you can pull from this passage. But I think the first thing to say is, is of super importance. And it's that wherever you are and whatever the problem is, it doesn't really matter how you got there. It doesn't really matter how you got to whatever problem, and, and maybe it's nothing right now, but it's something to come, or maybe it's something you just walk through, but whatever the thing is, if it, last week we talked about being satisfied when everything is good, and this week we dig into being satisfied when, when it's not very good, but it, when it's not very good, it doesn't really matter how you got there. And maybe it's not your fault at all, maybe it's just the hand that you were dealt, Somebody wronged you, you were born into it, you were born with it, it just feels unfair, doesn't matter. Maybe it is your fault. You did what, what we, you did some of these things that we all call mistakes. Isn't that what politicians do? They, uh, they, you know, they, you, you find out 15 years later they had a love child, you know, and then they're like, oh, I made some mistakes. <laughs> and I bet their spouse doesn't call them mistakes, you know, like, like, they, that, that tends to be the thing we do when we do something wrong. If I'm really mean to someone, and, and if I'm really, if I'm not very patient with Molly, and she's like, you were mean to me, and I'm like, well, we all make mistakes. <laughs> because we want to call everything we do wrong uh, a mistake, right? Um, but, but sometimes we get into these things not because we made mistakes, but because we did something wrong. Maybe we made some sinful choice and now we're living through the consequence. Whatever it may be, whether you did something wrong, you did something sinful, and now you're walking through the consequences. And, and maybe it's a lifelong thing where you're sort of living this out. Or maybe you didn't do anything to deserve it. It doesn't matter how you got there. And I think that's some reality you see in this passage. Because see, here's what happens. The God of the God of peace, Scripture actually calls God the God of peace. He doesn't give or withhold anything based on what we've done. See, in this passage, David calls God his shepherd. 
which thus refers to himself as a sheep. You probably heard some of this before, but here's some realities about what David's calling himself. So, so sheep are a lot of things. Sheep are pretty defenseless. Sheep don't have sharp teeth, so they, they can't, you know, they can't like bite and inflict some damage. Sheep are, are glowing white. <laughs> I mean, they don't, you know, if you think of like, like these animals that camouflage themselves and they can hide and, you know, and we were at PetSmart yesterday and you're looking for the snake and, you know, in the little tank and then all of a sudden he's right in your face and it's creepy even though there's a glass there. Um, but he's camouflaged in there and, and sheep can do none of that. They're right out there. You can totally see them. They're the easiest prey for anything to find. And so they're pretty helpless. Secondly, they're, they're pretty dumb. That's what, we, that's what we come to find out. They have, they have a little bitty brain, one of the smallest brains per the size of the body for any mammal. They're, they're pretty dumb. What they tend to do a lot of times is they run to danger. So when something bad happens, they run right towards it, like a teenager in a horror movie. You know, scary noise outside, we should go investigate. That's a sheep. That's what they do. They tend to run towards danger. And, and, and the whole idea is that they're, they're defenseless and they're dumb. And, and, and David, David says here, the Lord is my shepherd. And he doesn't abandon me when I'm an idiot and when I obviously do the wrong things because that's not what a shepherd does. Regardless of how helpless I am and how many wrong things I do, Right, God is is a shepherd. He's like he expects that. He's ready for me to do some of that kind of stuff. And that's how we pull this reality that it doesn't matter how we got there. God came in knowing that we were going to do some things wrong and he was going to have to rescue us from that. And he came in knowing that some wrong things were going to happen to us and he was going to walk through it with us. And so it doesn't really matter how we got there. Um... I interviewed for a job, uh, a lot of jobs, um, when I was graduating college. Um, I interviewed for one at, at Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo had a home mortgage division. This was like the second time they tanked, was right after this. Um, but I uh, interviewed for a job. I really wanted the job. Uh, when I look back now, I'm like, man, Adam, you were a dummy. I, I remember being in this interview, and this guy had to be like, it felt like he was begging me you know, to say anything positive that he could hire me for. And uh, I remember him saying, um, you know, have you ever worked on a team? I think he asked me this question so many times. You ever worked on a team? What was that like? And I just remember being, nope, nope. <laughs> Never worked on a team. Hate teams. Real lone wolf. You know, I'm just being as honest as I can. I'm just throwing out answers. And he's, you know, well, was there ever a time? Maybe a group. No, I really hate those. Really hate them. He asked me, um, this was a sales job. I didn't know that. Uh, you know, it said finance in the title. You know, I didn't know really what you were doing. I had a degree in finance. He's like, well, tell me about have you ever, and by this time he's expecting a dumb answer. I think he probably just continued just to hear what I would say. But he says, um, have you ever worked in sales? And I mean anything. You know, lemonade stand as a kid. Have you ever done any kind of sales? And, and, and what was that like? And, uh, again, no, no, I hate sales. <laughs> I hate sales. I hate that kind of thing. I don't really want to work in that. Not at all. Smiling, you know. <laughs> Next question. And, uh, and I remember, I didn't get that job, anyway. Um, but I wanted that job. I interviewed for a lot of jobs. I didn't really know how to interview, obviously. Um, 
even as I'm interviewing for these jobs, though, what was interesting about it is um, I, I really wanted a great job. I had a lot of friends who were finishing with finance degrees and, and getting really good positions. But all the while, I'm feeling very clearly like, like God wants me to do something totally different. And, and look, I'm definitely not, and maybe sinfully so, I'm just not a person who says, I knew what God wanted for me. God spoke to me. He said this. I just don't use that language because I don't find it to be true of my own experience often. But this was a thing where it was clear to me that anything I tried to do that was not that thing that I knew that God wanted me to do, it, boy, for one, the door just shut. For two, I wasn't very good at it. And, and, then, and then finally, I just had this feeling like this is not the right thing. And so I'm, I'm sort of doing that. I, I, I couldn't get a job in my field. I got this degree. I couldn't get a job. I just got married. I felt like a failure. Failure. I was making like seven fifty an hour, and my wife was making like twenty two dollars an hour. And I just makes you feel great about yourself as a new husband, you know. And um, and I'm just feeling like I'm really stinking at life. Got my degree, my esteemed degree, and got a job at a discount lumber supply house loading trucks. And um, so that's what I did. I had a lot of people that would come in and, and shop in the store and be like, what are you doing now? Oh, <laughs> you work here. That's the shirt for people that work here. And, um, and it, was pretty, it, it was pretty awful. I could walk you through the whole story, but, but when Jess and I began to look more at what God had called us to do and what we felt like we should be doing, our door, doors just began to fly open. Um, I... I Came, we came here to New Orleans. Jess got a job making like, you know, ten thousand more dollars a year than she was going to make there. I got a job immediately. We got a house. We got started in school. I mean, everything just sort of immediately and very quickly when we began to say, "God, what do you want us to do?" began to fall right in place. And as I look back now, back then I was like, "Oh man, things are really finally trending in the right direction." And as I look back now, it's so clear to me that God was just walking me down this path and guiding me to what he wanted me to do. And even when I was a dumb sheep and I just refused to, to, to say, God, just, you know, I just tell me what you want me to do. Even when it was so unclear to me, God was just walking me through that peace. And even when I was trying to run from him, run from him it's like he was closing doors saying, you're not going to run from me. And he began to do that. And the, the reality from my own experience, but the reality more importantly from Scripture, is that no matter how you got into the situation that you're in, the promise of God is that He is with you as you walk through it. And that may seem like a real cliche truth that maybe you've heard a lot, but I think it's a reality that we need to hear in the middle of the storm, is that God is absolutely with us as we walk through it. It was true for me when I was trying to run, it's true for us when, when awful things happen. It's true for us when good things happen. But God is absolutely with us. And you can wrestle Him as you walk through the challenge, or you can just find some rest in knowing that He is with you. And this is what I think is pretty interesting. Sometimes what God is doing in the middle of the challenge, sometimes what He's doing is He's making us lie down in a place that's good for us. You see what it says? It says in that passage, He makes me lie down in green pastures. And there's an idea that God found a good place for me, and He made me stay there. 
Sometimes I know that when, I, when I'm going 100 miles an hour and I keep saying yes to things, and I need to slow down and I need to spend some time at home, sometimes I just get super sick. Ever happened to you? And then all of a sudden, all the things I had to accomplish, not getting accomplished. And now I'm at home. And I'm spending a lot of time with family because I can't get off the couch or something like that. And all of a sudden, all the things that had to get done still managed to sort of get done. But I slowed down a lot, and I got a lot of perspective. And I was spending a lot of time with my family that, that, that I hadn't been spending. Sometimes when I want to run away, doors get closed. And I think what God is doing in the middle of some of that kind of stuff is we're like, God, I'm trying to make a plan and I'm trying to go there and I want to do this and I want to do that. And God is like, I want you to come lay down in this place that I want you to be in. Because you think you know what's good for you, but you're a dumb sheep. (laughs) And so you should come and sit in this place. And then as we follow Him and as we seek Him prayerfully and as we finally begin to dwell on Him because we finally sat down, He just gives us this sense of refreshment. You ever had a, a sense of peace that, that you just didn't quite understand? And I, I remember, I, I can name a lot of different times where things were in the toilet, but I was just like, you know, I just I just had some peace that, that it was going to be all right. And it was usually after I sat down and prayed for a long time. And I woke up, I woke up, I, I, I came up from that prayer and nothing physically had changed around me. But all of a sudden I had some perspective and I felt a little refreshed. And I had, you know, and, and now it was going to be okay. Now I felt, now I felt like something was different there, even though nothing had changed. And so God, he, he begins to, to guide us as we walk through this. And he begins to give us some refreshment. What's true is that his handprints are all over the path that we walk down. And so in being with us, he literally, the, the scripture, the idea in, in this passage is that he's literally walking with us. And here's the hard thing about that reality. So hear me, sometimes when we say God is walking with you, and then the thing that you absolutely didn't want to happen does happen. And you were so certain that God was with you, but now the the worst thing that you could have imagined, the worst outcome, did happen. And that's a super challenge. And then all of a sudden do we think, well, was God indeed not with me? I mean, when God is with us, does that mean we're going to get the outcome that we want? When God walks with us, does that mean that we get the outcome that we want? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. God God sent His own Son to die on a cross. And we may peril unto death. Doesn't that make you feel good? Especially if you got that thing in your mind right now, and you're like, man, this may kill me. And that may be just what God had in mind. But even after Jesus died, what did He do? It says He joined a Father in the clouds. And so even in death, He's got us. And, and, and even if the worst thing happens, Jesus, you know, the scripture says to live is Christ, but to die, that's gain. And so sometimes the great gain in the way that God walks with us is just us knowing that no matter how bad it gets here and no matter how much more the situation deteriorates, the Father has me. And even if I die from this thing, what do I do then? Then I get to go spend eternity with the Father in heaven. And so even in the worst of things, there's really no losing. And I believe there's a whole lot of peace as you walk through the storm. So my prayer for you is this. My prayer for you, number one, is 
is, is first of all, first and foremost, above everything, that you would follow Jesus. That if you never have, that you would, that you would, that you would commit your life to Him. That you would receive Him as your Savior. Because the promises of God are true for those that follow Him, and so I pray that you would do that. And secondly, I pray then that you would trust Him. I pray that you would trust Him. I pray that you would trust that knowing that as a child of His, no matter how off the rails it seems, that He's got this. And He walks beside you. And He stops you when necessary. And when all you want to do is keep moving in one direction and solve the problem and keep moving and doing something that that sometimes He's stopping you. But nonetheless, He's right there with you. And He knows where you're going. And He guides you every step of the way. And find some rest and find some peace in that. Let me pray.